Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the Inner Life here on Relevant Radio, on RelevantRadio.com, and on the Relevant Radio app. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope that in the hour ahead you will get some encouragement, some inspiration, and some help for living out this day that our Lord has given to us. My name is Patrick Conley. I'm sitting in for Josh Raymond today, and as always, I'm grateful for the opportunity to spend this hour with you. If you'd like to check out some of my other work for Relevant Radio, you can go to practicingcatholicshow.com to listen to past shows and podcasted interviews from the show that I regularly host, which is called Practicing Catholic. So again, that's practicingcatholicshow.com. Well, speaking of practicing Catholics, as practicing Catholics, we stand and pray the Nicene Creed each Sunday and solemnity and on some feast days, too. And as part of that creed, we profess our belief in the Church, the community of faith that our Lord himself established. And that Church has four qualities or marks about it that we claim in the creed as well. Our Church is one, it is holy, it is Catholic, and it is apostolic. Well, today here on The Inner Life, we're going to investigate those four marks of the Church and what they have to do with our day-to-day lives of faith. Here to help us on our way is our spiritual director for today, Father Sam Martin, who is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Father Martin, great to, have, great to be sharing another hour with you. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Thanks, Patrick. It's a little bit more meat and potatoes today, Ecclesiology 101, I guess, on a Monday we get right after it, but I'm glad that's that right. uh, you and I and the Holy Spirit and all of our good listeners uh, will uh, pick up a few things we hope that help us on our way to heaven one step at a time. Amen to that. That's exactly the goal. So let's start out just with the, the general, what are we talking about today? So how would you describe the four marks of the Church, Father? Well, I, I did pick up my catechism just to make sure that uh, in case things get uh, wild and woolly and people ask very direct questions, I'd have a, a fallback. And that's always something that is important for us to know where to look for answers. And uh, the Church is very beautiful. I mean, the treasure chest of all the things that, you know, the Bible, God reveals himself. and then, But understanding what's in the Bible, that's where the catechism comes from, is it articulating what, you know, God was telling us and how it's relevant to our time and place and and what it means in terms of uh, what it demands of us and how we must die, like the, the grain of wheat. So uh, the creed, the first part of the, the four parts of the catechism, the first is what we believe. And that belief then, of course, manifests, uh, manifests itself in how we live, and so the moral life, and that's helped along by the sacramental life, and then all of that is fueled by the interior life or our prayer. So those are the parts of the catechism. And so what does the Church look like? I mean, yeah, what is the Church? These are all questions that... Um, are important because people are drawn to the church by people who have these qualities. You know, one holy Catholic apostolic. There is something about a person, the way he or she lives, that uh, 
piques our curiosity. I, you know, I want to be more like that. I wonder how they can be so forgiving, how they, they're kind of a team player, you know, they're not just in it for themselves. They, there seems to be a ballast or kind of a strength to what they believe. It's not just theirs. It seems to have reasons. It seems to go way back and, and, uh, and it doesn't exclude anybody. It seems to be for, you know, no matter what your background is, uh, you seem to be, you know, all are welcome, uh, to quote a kind of a, uh, you know, rather insipid song. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this is the idea that all of us are, are wanted by God. And uh, the four marks of the church, Jesus, he loves his bride, and he wants matrimony for that, an icon of his sort of love to be you know, exhibited in the world. So the married couples have a, a very important job to love each other as Christ loves his bride, the church. And, and what is the church? She's the, uh, the means of salvation that Jesus... All people in heaven are saved by him. And uh, they used to have this phrase, no salvation outside the church, very controversial in this country beginning of the 20th century. And, but the idea, of course, is that we're saved by Jesus. If you're a Hindu, Muslim, atheist, if you're in heaven, you know how you got there now, whether or not you knew Jesus explicitly here. But the church's duty is to manifest Christ, to bring Jesus to the world. And uh, she has a, a beautiful, noble, very difficult task. Jesus is right. You could do nothing without me, so we're going to need his help. He says many more things I'd like to tell you. You can't bear them, so I'll send the Holy Spirit, and thus the birth of the church. Each one of us, through baptism, we're grafted to the body of Christ. We're not the head, but uh, like St. Teresa of Avila said, you know, we could be the hands, the, the feet, St. Teresa of Lisieux, the heart of the church. We each have our vocation, our calling, our mission to fulfill. And uh, St. Cardinal Newman said we may not discover that mission, at least not in full, but even so, it, there's a reason, a purpose that God created us, and it's to, to be a part of the church, bringing souls to Jesus, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we see Jesus, we see the Father. And uh, that's the beginning of salvation. It's a foretaste of heaven, the communion that the saints now share with God and with each other. We get a little taste of it every now and again in friendship and marriage and uh, different experiences in human existence. But there's a long uh, response. I don't even think I actually got to the uh, the question yet, but uh, the four marks of the church are to say, well, how will we know when we meet the church? How will we know people are truly Christian? Uh, well, what mm. should stand out? What are the things that uh, are indicative? I was thinking as an anecdote, when in Japan, when they kicked all the Christians out, uh, they the church kind of went underground, and they knew some basic fundamentals of the faith. They knew about baptism. They knew how to do it. And so, and they were told that the, the church would return someday. They wouldn't be abandoned forever. Better times would come, and it was better part of three centuries, and that's what happened. They, they knew what to look for. They were told that if you see someone, he might be wearing a Roman collar, and uh, ask him if he has any connection to the Pope. Ask him if he's married. Ask him what he thinks about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And those were indicators that that would be a Catholic priest. And uh, the priest was a French missionary, and he was surprised at what he found, that the church had survived. By these, the, the members of the laity were able to pass on their prayers and just the basic uh, fundamentals of the faith, enough that they could baptize. They knew who Jesus was, and uh, remarkable. But they knew what to look for. And in that priest, they knew that's a Catholic, and that's the church, uh, the fullness of what Jesus in instituted. And uh, the Holy Spirit keeps alive uh, day in and day out. Yeah. 
Well, wonderful, Father. It's a great introduction to, as you put it, Ecclesiology 101 here on a Monday morning, and you've got us stretching our our intellectual and uh, hopefully our spiritual selves already as we uh, reach out to try to grasp um, the, the meaning of and the importance of these four marks of the Church, which is our topic here on The Inner Life today. If you'd like to join the conversation and get in on this, if you have questions specifically about any one or all four of the marks of the Church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, give us a call, join the conversation, 888-914-9149, again, 888-914-9149, as we discuss the four marks with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin from Wausau, Wisconsin. Well, Father, thanks for that introduction to that, and uh, if uh, I'd love to get into each one of them kind of individually here, if, if that's all right. And um, let's just start at the beginning here. What does it mean that the Church is one? I can imagine that there are many, many people who might uh, critique that or say, it doesn't look like the Church is one. It looks like there's, uh, well, certainly there's You've got Catholics, you've got the Orthodox, you've got all the different Protestant denominations. It doesn't look like the Church is one to me. Um, and uh, even within our Catholic Church, you see people who are, uh, you know, very, very different in the way that they live out that Catholic life. So what does it mean that the Church is one? Well, it's a work in progress, that's for sure. It's what Jesus intended. <laughs> we know this uh, priestly prayer in John 17, you know, this beautiful prayer that he prays on behalf of all of us, every human being that would ever be created. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. And this is a, an ongoing uh, desire that he... And why would Jesus pray that except to indicate that it's going to be arduous? It's not going to happen magically or overnight. And if uh, the second person of the Trinity is praying for something, uh, he's indicating that we too must pray. We must ask the Lord to help us because uh, division is the easiest thing. And it's the one that... Uh, the devil loves, it's a common trap, it's a divide and conquer, right? I mean, sometimes in our fallen nature, when we were kids, we'd go to mom and ask her, and she'd say, you go ask dad, or, or we'd turn them against each other. Well, what'd your dad say? He said it was fine, ma, so I think, it was, well, see, that's how kids already learn, that turn people against each other, and then you can kind of get your way. That's not a, the noble thing to do, and maybe we outgrow that, I hope, but uh, so unity we could maybe begin with what it's not. It's not necessarily uniformity, you know, forcing everybody to do the same thing, believe the same thing. That comes typically in the form of a totalitarian regime. It's not difficult to achieve uniformity. You just need a lot of force. And uh, so unity is, is you know, coming together, but it has to be freely. It has to, to be a choice that the Lord is, is kind and merciful. He proposes. He doesn't seem to impose anything. We will answer for the life that we've lived, and they are commandments, not suggestions, and so there's all of that. But God could force us to live a certain way if he wanted to, but he, he doesn't. Uh, he believes in freedom. He believes that, that there's a, a space in our conscience that is uh, untouched by this world, or at least it ought to be. And sometimes there are encroachments on that where people are forced to do something that is against their conscience, and that's a violation of the way God made us. So unity is this common pursuit of the truth. It would know the truth, it would set us free, it would draw us together, it would unite us. But it's a big church, and it's a, a fallen race of human beings, and so achieving it, um, all the things through the, the church's history, all the, the wounds, uh, if you will, the body of Christ, and uh, the damage that's been done, the, the work that God has to do that we can't do on our own. It's, um, these are spiritual uh, enterprises to bring people together to to unite them, and it's uh, the work of, of prayer and fasting. We don't change hearts. 
that's the work of God. What the apostles did and, and the goal of and the role of the church is that as God draws people to himself, we're supposed to salt, uh, you know, and preserve that. But we don't uh, go around, you know, converting people. Our prayers and our sacrifice, our witness, certainly all are uh, influential. But in the end, it's God that changes hearts. And our job is now to preserve that by the way we teach, the way, the way we live, the way we forgive, the, the life of the church. So uh, the unity is the one that I would say is maybe of the four uh, characteristics, the marks of the church, is the one that's maybe the most uh, in peril, the one that always kind of hangs in the balance. And we'd say today, you know, to just feel like there are uh, pockets of the church that's uh, kind of doing their own thing. And it's a big church. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There's a room for everybody. A classmate of mine, one time he was in the morning, he was at a, uh, I think he was at the Extraordinary Rite of the Mass, and in the evening he was at a charismatic renewal with a guitar and, and everything. He said, well, it's, it's a big church, you know, there are different ways of worshiping. But uh, there are things that hold that together. Uh, you know, principally, our profession of faith, our creed, the way we worship uh, the Mass, and uh, and all the other teachings besides. That you don't get to pick and choose, uh, you know, what you believe. And, and well, I'm Catholic. Well, do you live it? Do you practice it? Do you profess it? Well, no, but, um, but I'm still Catholic. Well, in a way, that's true, right? Because the Church... Once you're a Catholic, uh, you always are. Even if you leave, uh, it never really leaves you. The church sure. is a mama, so she cannot uh, forsake her children. But uh, we certainly can turn our back on her. So unity, oh, we could talk about it all day, Patrick, because it's the one thing <laughs> I think that causes us a lot of concern. And, uh, and these times are, you know, typical of any uh, epoch in human history. You know, that it always seems to be fragile. And how can we, uh, individually, how can we uh, foster this sort of unity? Fair yeah. question. Great question, yeah. And that's that's uh, that's exactly what I was thinking, Father. Great, great uh, thoughts, and you already hinted at some of the responses to that question, but that's what's going through my mind, is that how can how can individual families and and lay people and that sort of thing what can we do to foster the uni- unity of the church and maybe even on the parish level what can we do to help further the unity of the church well we have to pray a lot because the devil loves to get us to we become suspicious of others that are different and they and they just aren't you're doing what we do and we naturally think that we're right and uh, we're superior the way we live to other people i suppose and so if we pray enough we'll become a little bit more patient uh, a little bit more you know compassionate and we'll accept that there's um, that people are working their things out you know that uh, the faith is a it's a bit of a messy process and anybody that this is like the the woman in the gospel the widow who just never gives up she keeps praying and and we need to do that too otherwise we become very critical and we create the church in our image and likeness. We have it on our terms, and this is the way we do it here. And if you're, you know, not going right. to fall into place, and and it, we know that the family life and so forth. I mean, the kids are equal, but they're not the same. They're all different. And there's an intention by, you know, that that's the way God creates. It, uh, he never runs out of new personalities and new things that we've never seen in a person quite like that before. These talents and these limitations. So uh, if we're prayerful people, then we're going to promote unity just because that comes from the Holy Spirit. If we're not prayerful, we're probably going to become kind of snarky and critical, and we're always going to be poking at people's differences. And, and you know, maybe we undermine the, the, you know, the authority or the leadership or whoever it is. We speak against the priest or the bishop or the pope, and, and, and 
those of us in the church, those of us who are priests, I mean, we're notorious for this too, but I found that when we get together as priests, if we pray, we have a holy hour, we just say our prayers first, then it's not all like, you know, ganging up on the leadership and how they're failing because, well, they're human, you know. That, uh, but prayer changes the way we see people, the way we see ourselves, the way we treat people. And if we're not praying, then it's going to be one of these sort of uh, religious country clubs that, uh, you know, that we're, it's going to be yeah. the usual typical stuff, right, that yeah. we're trying to impress each other, trying to fit in, and, and we're on the inside and you're not, and ha-ha, and uh, those are all affronts to unity. Those all damage. It's just on a natural level, the way that we live our family life. And I just remember my mom is here visiting, and um, I just remember the way she and Dad raised us is that they tried to teach us to, to treat people with respect uh, and not to be judging. And that was back in the day, by the way, when they used to uh, they put out the tithing report at the end of the year so you could see who oh. was given what. It was all listed. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I remember <laughs> mom and yeah. dad were generous, and I, they were toward the top of the list. And, but I remember they were really stern about that's none of your business. You know, that's, that's not the way we look at things. God has been good to us. We have a duty to give back to him. And if other people can't, we are not the judge. And that, that's gone by the wayside, thankfully, because that's a... That, I mean, of course, it was for accountability. It was to encourage generosity. I get it. But uh, it's too much information for us to handle, and it becomes, once again, uh, a, an area of damage toward the unity that God sure. wants. Right, a platform for division there, and that's uh, that's understandable. Well, maybe you have a story about how you have contributed to the unity of the church even amongst your own family, amongst your own parish, we'd love to hear it. Call in, give us an idea, 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or you can also, maybe perhaps you have you have been, uh, maybe you've suffered in a place where you've experienced division within the church. We'd also love to hear from you, 888-914-9149. Or you can also send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We've got to take a short break, but stay with us. We'll be back right after this. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. My name is Patrick Conley, sitting in for Josh Raymond today as we're talking about the four marks of the Church. One, holy, catholic, and apostolic with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, from the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. And Father, we uh, we had a caller who called in but couldn't stay on the line, so an off-air question um, this is someone who's recently become Catholic, and the caller was asking, what do you mean specifically by prayer? And I assume prayer to foster unity. Is there a specific kind of prayer that would be most helpful? Does it need to be a specific one, like the Our Father? So any specific prayers that you would recommend um, in fostering unity amongst the Church? Well, I suppose... Uh you know, always praying for those that are not easy for us to love, uh, to have, uh, you know, the, the Chapel of Divine Mercy or something that fosters forgiveness, the rosary. Uh, the, the Kind of the completed Christian, not kind of, but definitely, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. So she's seen as, you know, as, in terms of human beings, she'd be the greatest at achieving unity and helping us to, to work in that 
capacity. So any prayers through the devotion to the Blessed Mother that lead us to Jesus, those things are going to bring about the unity that we want to foster. The Holy Spirit, you know, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Uh, those are prayers that uh, always kind of help us just to be sensitive about areas that, uh, you know, maybe I could contribute, maybe I'm a cause of, of you know, lack of harmony here, and I need mm-hmm. to revisit my own position. And um, But prayer just keeps us alert. It, uh, if people that aren't praying are kind of spiritual zombies. You're just uh, going through the motions, and you might not even know the damage that you're doing mm-hmm. or the good that you could be doing, but you just don't see it. And uh, prayer, it, there's no, you know, one particular prayer or like you got to pray this to get that any prayer is going to soften the heart and make us more docile to god's will and that's already the beginning of unity sure very good okay thank you very much and i'll just throw in as a subtext here father spiritual zombies i'm going to utilize that one <laughs> i think myself that's wonderful i like that all right well father you you said of unity that uh, or the church being one that that's likely the one of the four marks the one of the four marks that is most in peril but let's turn the page if you're okay with that let's go from the church is one to the church is holy because it seems like that one's in a lot of peril as well. I mean, I look around, I well, I need look no further than my own heart uh, to see this, but as a member of the church, I know that my life is not a perfection of holiness, far from it. And uh, certainly it seems like even when people can get together, whether it be uh, families or groups within the church and that sort of thing, um, that we see some rather unholy things going on there as well. So how in the world can we claim that the church is holy? Well, keeping in mind, of course, that all these characteristics, they redound to Jesus. I mean, they really, you know, he's the source and the summit, so he is all these things par excellence, and if you see any of it in us, we'd say, not to us, but to him give the glory, that we're an extension. All we are is his unprofitable servants, so uh, we're to be holy because, you know, the greatest uh, form of uh, uh, flattery is imitation, right? I mean, if we really love him, then we're going to want to be like him, we're going to want to follow him and trust him, and then pretty soon he's going to start to rub off on us. So that's where holiness comes from. The saints never knew they were saints, but if someone said, why are you so good? They'd say, because God has been good to me. And I didn't know how else to respond except that, you know, love is repaid by love alone. That comes, uh, is that St. John of the Cross or St. Teresa of Avila? But anyway, it's, uh, that's the idea that holiness is seen in Jesus because he's the source of it. But we are, by duty, I mean, if we are living our baptismal promises, then we are to become holy, which means in the world, but not of the world. These are people that are not worldly in the sense of the, the typical, you know, the kind of the, the things the, the world touts, you know, power and prestige and, and uh, popularity, all those sorts of things. A saintly person is not really all that interested. Now, they could have some of those things. Uh, King St. Louis obviously had power and probably a fair amount of money, but uh, he wasn't so proud. They, he refused to go on crusade to pray and to help liberate the holy places in the Middle East. I mean, he, he lived a very simple life, even though he had the trappings of power. So he was in the world, but not of the world, not worldly, and that's, that's our goal. That's what holiness is, is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. But Jesus never really became what they wanted him to be. You know, a great warrior, a lead his people to freedom and take down the, the Romans once and for all. That was not, I mean, he refuses that. He rejects that. And uh, he embraces a cross. He 
dies as a common criminal between two common criminals. In fact, this is God's only son. He is the Messiah, the fulfillment, fulfillment of all the prophecies, but he chooses to do it uh, in a way that is not worldly, not at all, and uh, the antithesis thereof. So I think of people like St. Joan of Arc that had to stand up to a lot of worldly people who were in the church, you know, and when she's put on trial and found guilty of, of uh, sorcery, witchcraft, and so forth, and burned at the stake. This is a girl that confronted the powers of the world, and she wasn't against the world, she was for it, but in the way that Jesus was for it. And he wouldn't compromise himself. He, he was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. Or St. John Fisher, St. Thomas More, you know, the theories are, yeah, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. That's what it means to be holiness, to be set apart, that I live here, but I'm not going to be here long. We're just passing through. My, my home is in heaven, so I know that when I feel sad or discouraged, I'm just homesick. I, I want to be with God, and I settle for a lot of things that aren't God. I, my heart is restless, and it will rest in Him, but I try to find rest in all these compensatory behaviors. But I, I've begun to see that I want to be with you, Lord. If I have to make a choice, that's I hope what my life will say is that I've chosen you, Lord. I struggle to be here, but I'm going to make the best of it. Uh, and we can be happy here, you know, relatively, but not perfectly. And uh, we're promised that by some, you know, these are the machinations of the world, right? They promise happiness where you'll never find it. So that's why we contest, you know, like so-called same-sex marriage. I mean, that is a deception. You promise people happiness where they're not going to find it, or the sex change, the kind of transgenderism. You're promising people happiness. Well, they'll never find it. I mean, it, I know that people are struggling, and we love them and pray for them, And but for God's grace, that's us. I mean, we're all struggling, really, just not with quite the same sickness, but we're all sick in some way. And acknowledging that and then asking God to show us the way to the truth, well, that's where you'll find happiness. But we promise it where it can be found, and shame on us when we do that. So, But the saints were... They were holy because they, they were able to confront the world in love. Say, ah, you're way off there. That's, uh, uh, that's poison. You drink more of that, you're going to get sicker. No, I'll do whatever I want. Okay, well, even so, uh, we have to speak the truth, and sometimes there are repercussions. So the three that I mentioned were all put to death because they, uh, they decided they'd rather live the truth and die than to embrace a lie and so-called live. Excellent. We're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, from the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, about the four marks of the Church. The Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And um, great, great thoughts there. And I love that you gave so many examples from the Canon of Saints to their father and, and great encouragement on how the Church is indeed holy because her founder is holy and he still lives within us, within his members, right, in the Church. And so we do see that holiness and uh Maybe a follow-up question to that, though, Lord, uh, uh, Father, is that when we're when we're struggling uh, to be holy, when and it is as just as you said about unity, is that it is arduous. Um, it is something that we need to strive for, and is something we need to remember and practice in our in our day-to-day life. Um, any particular ways or encouragement that we um, that we can uh, employ to help us get more holy, as it were? And also, um, where can we look, where else can we look within the church, within the community, um, to help us in that path to holiness? I was just thinking, uh, you know, Patrick, just before, you know, kind of getting into that about the scandals of the church, and this is 
one of the things that really damages uh, you know people in general you know when right. those that we expected to live a certain way didn't and uh and sometimes they they hit it they were defensive they were rationalizing it all sorts of things where uh, if we want to be holy the first step is to be vulnerable mm-hmm. tell the truth you know accept that i sin i'm drawn to sin i give in to temptations at times i feel shame and guilt but i know it and i'm honest about it and i tell the lord about it so the healing sacraments of the church specifically uh confession is way that's a place where we are it's a sanctuary that's a place where god meets us he knows our hurts he knows much more about why we do it than we do it's the mystery of iniquity we why do I do the thing I do not want to do, St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, and we feel that too. It's not like I'm not trying, Lord, but I still, when I'm tired, discouraged, bored, angry, here come the terrible things that I'm drawn to. And uh, But for your grace, Lord, I wouldn't have any hope. But I've begun to find in my weakness a God who is strong. And this is the story of many of the saints. That they, There was a book written by this guy, uh, Thomas Crawwell, and it's uh, saints behaving badly. Hmm. And they weren't born saints. It talks about, you know, like Augustine before his conversion or all these uh, holy men and women that had to go through many struggles. But they were honest. They were vulnerable. And I think for any one of us, that that's how real holiness begins, is that we let God into our hurts, into the things that I don't want that to be a part of my life. Well, if ifs and us for candy and uh, how's that go again? If and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Well, anyway, so right. we can't live in a magical world of make-believe. We have to live in the real world where we are survivors of original sin. We were all wounded, damaged, not destroyed, but certainly uh, the effects are with us for all of our life. And, and acknowledging that, being honest about that, and seeking the help that we need is the beginning of a real trust in the Lord. He's a real person now. We know him. He's like the Father who runs out to us. And even before we get a chance to tell him that we're not worthy of him, that we've blown it, we've destroyed everything, and he should just forsake us, he's embracing us and he's telling us that we were lost and we've been found, that we were dead and that we're alive. And and when we're loved like that, that starts to heal us. It makes our life worth living. It says that no matter what I've done, Lord, you've never given up on me. And I don't know why. I don't understand how you can love like that. And he doesn't love us once we're ready, once we're acceptable, once we're... Ho- no, <laughs> we'll be dead before we get... He loves us as we are. But in such a way that it, we say, Lord, you always make me want to be a better person. You always see the good in me, and I, I would have given up a long time had it not been for you. This is where, like, the, the series that chose in the first episode is St. Mary Magdalene, and they're all, there's a lot of healing in those... Uh, you know, little videos of, about the life of our Lord and his first followers, you know, and we can see a lot of ourselves in that. And uh, it's really encouraging. It's very beautiful uh, exposure to the merciful heart of God. Right, right. We're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin from Wausau, Wisconsin, about our topic today, the four marks of the church, one holy Catholic and apostolic. And Father, as you're talking about that, um, that God doesn't wait for us to get ready before he loves us, right? I'm I'm drawn to back to one of my favorite if not me if not my favorite scripture verse that it was while we were yet sinners that uh, that's when Christ died for us and God proves his love for us in that. And uh, it's a great reminder as we contemplate what it means that the church is holy and we as individual members are called to be holy as well. Well, Father, um 
Let's uh, let's continue on in the conversation here as we're making our way through these four marks of the church. And by the way, listeners, feel free to call in if you have questions about any one of these. If you've seen the unity or the holiness, the Catholicity or the apostolicity of the church lived out in some way that was very powerful in your midst, or if you yourself have benefited from them in some way, give us a call. Join the conversation. 888-914-9149 is our phone number here at The Inner Life, 888-914-9149. Well, Father, next up is Catholic. Now, uh, obviously, Catholic, uh, We, uh, as Catholics, we understand that we're part of the Catholic Church, but um, this was a moniker given to as one of the marks of the Church from very early on, and even our saint for today, I know, St. Ignatius of Antioch, was uh, um, encouraged the usage of that term. So um, what does it mean that the Church is Catholic? Well, that in the fullness of time when God sent his Son, he was sent to the lost children of the the tribes of Israel, right? So, so like the Syrophoenician woman is an example of well that Jesus had a very specific mission, and so early on it seemed like the Jews were to be his followers, and they so they were. Uh, but the Syrophoenician woman kind of uh, you know she her faith is deep, and she said even the dogs eat the scraps that fall you know from the table, and so the Jesus he says that you know that your faith is remarkable. I've not found a faith like this anywhere so far. So. That's the beginning of it. It's anticipation that, that the church now is going to not be only God's chosen people, the Jewish uh, people, but that it would be extended to the Gentiles. And so early on there's a, obviously some tension and so forth. There's a, the growing pains of realizing what that means. And so uh, Saints Peter and Paul are really, you know, one the apostle for the Gentiles, one more for the, the Jews and so forth. But they're able to kind of come to grips with that. And so to the... To, you know, in our time and place, I mean, that the, everyone is called to be holy. Everyone is called to a friendship with Jesus, and no matter what their background, uh, even so, the church is open to all people and all places and all times. So universal in the sense that God wants to save uh, all of his people, and not that all are going to explicitly become Catholic, uh, but even so, the church has a mission to treat all of God's children with love, with compassion, in a way that even if they don't choose to become Catholic, that they would, um, it was a wise old priest that said that run your parish in a way that if it ever closed, that even the atheist in town would kind of feel bad about it. They'd say, well, gosh, that was a, <laughs> that was a church that did a lot for a lot of people. That was good, you know, for our community. They're going to be missed. And that's a kind of an, a way of looking at the Catholicity, uh, that particular mark of the church, that it's, it's meant to be a, a leaven, salt, light, uh, for all in the area. So, like in, in this city of Wausau, that our parishes, yeah, we have our own needs, but please, God, we're, we go out on mission. You know, that's what the Mass means, that you're sent, you're always sent. You come to receive, and now what you've received as gift, you go and you give as gift. So to serve all of God's people, and some saints did this magnificently. I mean, you think of like a St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who sometimes was accused of tricking people into becoming Catholic when they were dying, and she said, no, and they called it, you know, proselytizing and so forth. She said, no, I would never, I didn't do that. I mean, I, she would say things like, if you're a Hindu, be a really good Hindu. Live mm-hmm. it sincerely with your whole heart. Give God your best. If you're Catholic, be a good Catholic. You know, he, God gave his best. He deserve, deserves yours. And so she would tell people when they were dying about heaven, she'd describe it, and they would say, Mother, if there's a place like that, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. She was uh, just appealing to their their goodness, the way God made us, that uh, for communion with Himself. So she was able to to really live that. I mean, in a country that 
is uh, predominantly Hindu in India. Here was a Catholic woman that uh, really was salt, light, hope, healing, all those things. Uh, she really lived that uh, very beautifully. All right, very good. So, Father, just to follow up on that as we're talking about the Church being Catholic as we profess it in the creeds, one of the four marks of the Church. Um, now, I know I grew up as a, as a Protestant, as a Presbyterian, um, and we would say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, but even included in that was, I believe in, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, uh, and we certainly say it in the Nicene Creed every Sunday here as Catholics, you know, one Holy Catholic and Apostolic, which is our subject for today. But um, why do some Protestants retain that word Catholic within their creeds that they continue to profess every Sunday? And uh, what do they mean by it, and how does that differ from, or does it differ from what we mean by it? Boy, Pastor, I'm hoping you're going to have an answer for this one, but uh, (laughs) my guess is that, of course, you know, the things that are passed on that are tradition, so to speak, uh, they're in there for a reason. Now, the way we understand it would be different, you know, that... Uh, for us, it's a it's connection to the Holy Father, the Vicar of Christ, that there are certain telltale things that indicate that you're in full union with the Pope uh, and with the Church. And there are things that damage that. You know, we go back to the East-West break in 1054 and all the damage that was done in the Fourth uh, Crusade in 1204, and that's that's a chasm that's never been healed. You know, Pope John Paul used to say it's like it's like the Church has two lungs and she's only breathing out of one. So the East and the West that were never... Uh, at least not yet. There's been a lot of work and a lot of uh, healing. We still have miles to go, but we are hopeful. The Holy Spirit in the end is going to reconcile. He's the one that it will be a divine initiative to bring us together. But our prayers, and this is what happened with Roe versus Wade, for example, our prayers and our sacrifice, our suffering, allows God to do what he alone can do. I mean, it's not like, well, we need better government, we need better politicians. We need, we need those things, don't get me wrong, but the core of change, the spiritual change, is always prayer and fasting. It's always those little spiritual weapons. Jesus makes it clear, like, why couldn't we drive those demons out? Because you have to do these things, and he gives them an example. But uh, if you're going to trust in your own devices, and so there are things that foster the, the healing of the, the breaches of unity that go all the way back in you know, terms like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, all those things, I mean, uh, tough things, sad things, uh, catastrophic things that we've never been able to fully heal as much as uh, we've worked at it, but all in God's time. And so I think for some, you know, I suppose it's like high church, low church, uh, some are more traditional and orthodox, some are less in terms of the Protestant, you know, world as well, you know, that you not use the political terms, but left and right and center and these kinds of things. So I suppose some will retain those terms, but be specific about, we don't have a pope, you know. Uh, a lot of the Protestant uh, denominations would, uh, authority, uh, you know, the kind of the uh, hierarchy sort of thing, well, that is a, that's a struggle for them. And once you lose that, as history has borne out, that principle of unity, what held us together, is gone now. And so the splintering can actually become pretty rapid, and that's what we've seen among all the different Protestant denominations, that the Holy Father is not a perfect person. There is no such thing this side of eternity. Uh, so, but our faith is not in him, and yet Jesus said to Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus has a, a plan. And when Martin Luther went to Rome, and the Pope that was there at the time is not a good guy, very scandalous guy and so forth, it was a perfect storm. We wish, you know, Martin Luther was right about a lot of things. We wish he would have stayed wish we could have held that together, 
but the damage has been done, and only God now can can heal that. He wants us to work with Him, to cooperate, mm-hmm. but not to do things that are too human. You know, like well, we we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> no, there's we have to continue to wrestle about things. You know, what do we mean with faith and works and all these? What do we mean by Catholic? You know, what is the what does the Church intend by it? What do other Protestant denominations. What did you, I mean, how was your understanding growing up, Patrick? What did you, uh, what were you taught about it? Yeah, excellent question, Father. Well, I guess in short, what I would say is that uh, there was a difference between, as they put it, small C Catholic and large C Catholic. And uh, not to go too much into the weeds here, but I think it had more to do with more of a spiritual ecclesiology or an invisible ecclesiology over and against a visible ecclesiology. And uh, yes, that it was uh, universal in the sense that it was... um, yeah, that it was uh, all the believers gathered together rather than there being visible signs like, well, you are, as you already pointed out, being in communion with the Pope. Um, well, but uh, I do want to uh, I do want to save time for uh, the church being apostolic as well. And I'm starting to see, and, and Father, I'm feeling from what you're saying is that these four marks are actually intertwined with one another. At least there's some overlap between each of them, even though they have distinct definitions. So we'll continue picking your brain and uh, taking any phone calls that may come in. If you'd like to join the conversation with Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director today uh, here on The Inner Life, give us a call, 888 But for now, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after this. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, all thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. Patrick Conley sitting in for Josh Raymond today. My thanks to him for the opportunity to sit in on the show today. My thanks also to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Sarah Tafoya, who's taking your phone calls, 888-914-9149. Thanks also to you, Father. Father Sam Martin is our spiritual director today, who is our, uh, he is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin, part of the Diocese of La Crosse, and we're talking about the four marks of the church and Father, we had another caller call in who just wasn't uh, wasn't able to stay on the line. Just uh, wanted to remind us of of some of the reformers within our own church that stayed within the church and uh, and wanted to see reform um, within the church when we were faced with various well various levels of corruption and things like that. And they sought to reform from within the church, unlike those who ended up breaking away from the church as well. Any comments on that one, Father? Well, that's true. I mean, that was the Counter-Reformation, so some of our greatest saints uh, come out of the hardest, the most uh, strenuous times, you know, St. Francis de Sales, St. Teresa of Avila, we just had her feast, she was a reformer, St. John of the Cross, St. Ignatius of Loyola, I mean, they're just some incredible saints at that time, and um, that, that had to respond uh, with the truth, but uh, patience and uh, where we get into trouble is where we start pushing and we want to have it all neat and tidy and you know and that doesn't happen in our own conversions in our own life it's like i'll be a saint by the end of the week and then i'll move on to something else well good luck i mean it's just <laughs> yeah, never... good luck and we do that you know that happened like when saint dominic was working with the uh you know this heretical sect in southeastern france the albigensian heresy and the qatar people and he was having success because he was living the life of an apostle very simple 
very zealous. And uh, but that wasn't enough. So then comes to the army, and they whip them all into shape, and they and that set that uh, part of the country back for centuries. I mean, they still remember the assault on there. And if they just would have let St. Dominic and others like him slowly bring about their conversion and trust, but no, it uh, swoop right in and get it done, and, and at what cost? You know, it is so, uh, it is for us that, um, you know, these reforming saints remind us that we have to begin. There's no assurance that will be done by the time the Lord comes, but the main thing is that we never get tired of beginning again and again. That's right. the, the nature of our life, is to acknowledge that I... Lord, I have sinned, and I am sorry, and I, I'm going to repent, and give me, St. Teresa of Evola used to say, a very determined determination. <laughs> In other words, I want to stay the course until the end of my life. And uh, the saints did that, and we see the, the wisdom of their witness now. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And going back to your comment about St. Dominic living the life of an apostle, and he was uh, so successful in his mission because of that, let's turn to our last mark of the Church to talk about today, which is just that, that the Church is apostolic. So what does apostolic mean, Father? Well, there's the you know, historical reality that, that Jesus, you know, he founded a Church, he intended to do it, and uh, he leaves it with the apostles. And of course, the, the birthday of the Church, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, uh, we couldn't, there'd be no chance. I mean, the Church really is evidence of the existence of God. I mean, all the ways that we should have destroyed ourselves. I mean, this wouldn't be from without, on the outside, the external things. It's the internal things that should have destroyed the Church over and over again. She never would have gotten out of the first century if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit, but here she is, uh, still in existence. And so it's the idea that that Jesus founded a church, a community of believers with a specific uh, mission, a task, and an identity. He gave them that they knew who they were and, and who they weren't. And uh, so that began the first century, and uh, the, the teaching that is entrusted to the apostles that, that is extended through our growing in understanding of, of what it was that Jesus did and taught and, and said. And, and, of course, then this um, it gives a certain ballast, a certain... Uh, historical reality that I know you'll see sometimes when churches are wanting to claim authenticity, they'll put apostolic on the front. But if they weren't uh, there in the first century, it really is not quite uh, accurate, right? So uh, guys like Edmund Campion, who was uh, Church of England, he was studying and he was reading the Church Fathers, uh, the early bishops and popes and so forth. And he just more and more that he read, he thought, you know, I, I think the Church was Catholic at the beginning. And he conferred with some of his peers, and they said, you know, just do the homework. Don't think about it so much. But that was the beginning of his conversion. He became a Jesuit. He was killed in his own uh, country in England. He was uh, put on the rack there. And through his example, uh, this other guy, St. Henry Walpole, same thing. I mean, he witnessed the martyrdom of, of Campion. And so he, too, uh, crossed the English Channel and got the training to become a Catholic priest and was martyred in the same spot 11 years later. Uh, these are the things that point out that a church that is ancient and also very new, that she's both, that she's uh, a wise mother but young in, at heart and a spirit that is uh, always that God makes all things new. And so this is our, our faith, that it goes all the way back. And all the other ones, are they came from the church. And there's some good in all of these movements. And God is very resourceful. I mean, he if those who aren't against us are for us kind of thing. I know he also says the opposite. He says if they're not with us, then they're against us. But at least in the case of uh, 
you know, reaching out to other religions, especially those who are Christian. We, we want to thank God for the things we have in common, and we want to uh, be charitable about the things where we disagree. In the end, uh, we'll know the truth, and it will set us free. And those who aren't Christian, same thing. We have many things in common, and uh, we want to thank God for the moments where we can work together to push back against the only enemy, the only real enemy, is the devil. And uh, he's the enemy of human nature, the enemy of the church, and the enemy of God. And that's where we want to, uh, you know, put all our resources. Not to fight each other so much. We can disagree, but with charity. And that's what people, that's the beginning of becoming a saint. So like today's saint, Ignatius of Antioch, he's not, you know, angry that he's going to be put to death in the Colosseum. He seems to welcome it. He seems to be praying for the people who are going to do it. He seems to be telling other people, don't talk them out of it, because this seems to be God's will for me, and I accept I will give my witness to a God who became weak so that one day we could share in his eternal life in heaven. Not a bad witness. Well done, Satan Nation. <laughs> Not a bad witness at all, Father. Well, we're down to about our last uh, minute or so before we ask you for your blessing, Father. But just one final question with the really thank you for this in depth look of the four marks of the church. What hope can the church provide for us, provide for us all in our life of faith for this day? Well, she's been through it all, and she has a lot to teach us. She's seen all the, the heights of, of human talent and gift and all the, the brokenness and the scandal of sadness and sin. But she is a, a good mother, and uh, the bride of Jesus, she will be here until the end of the world. And in the meantime, uh, you know that as Bishop Barron said, you know, we're all in the same boat, we're all seasick. And, but stay on the boat, you know, because the bark of St. Peter, that, that boat will carry us across the waters uh, even unto eternity, so we're better with her, and uh, and she's better with us. I mean, we have something to give, something to contribute, something that can make the church more holy, more unified, more uh, Catholic, and in the end, even more apostolic by our good works, our our missionary zeal. So there's something that we receive, and that's uh, the faith, hope, and love. But what we receive now, we we want to give back. So get involved, be a member of the church, not just on the sideline, but uh, engage your faith, live it with sincerity and truth, and many others will be intrigued, and some will be converted, and will say thanks be to God, because that's his work in our heart. Yeah, it is indeed. Wonderful. Father Sam Martin, thank you so much for being our spiritual director throughout the hour today. As we close, if we may ask for your blessing, please. Almighty God, bless, guide, protect, heal, reconcile each and every one of you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Sam Martin again from the Parish of Holy Name of Jesus out of Wausau, Wisconsin, part of the Diocese of La Crosse. Thank you for being our spiritual director today. And we are pleased that uh, for that last kind of call to action that we are we need to be active members of the body of Christ and actively living out the church's unity, holiness, Catholicity, and apost- apostolicity as well. And we can do that very well by centering our lives around the holy sacrifice of the Mass. If you haven't been to Mass yet today, it's coming right up next here on Relevant Radio with Father Matt's seminar out of the Chapel of the Nativity from Green Bay, Wisconsin. So grateful that you joined us for this episode of The Inner Life. Take care, and God bless you now and always. Thank you.